0: You guys are in for a treat today with Jim White. He's a self-made billionaire with a story you probably wouldn't guess. He has a story of rags to riches, and he's such an inspiration. His new book launches this week. Jim, welcome. So I just asked my 12-year-old what he would ask a billionaire. What do you think he asked?
2: I have no idea. It's going to be interesting.
0: He said, can I have a thousand bucks?
2: (laughs) <laughs> well, tell the 12 year old to go ahead and get through a school and send me your resume because I like that. Ask for the order. <laughs> I Love it. He's a well, chip
0: off the old block. I can tell. <laughs> what were you like as a kid?
2: I was a hardworking kid. I mean my story's a little different than the, the most, but I was a throwaway kid. What's that mean? I, five years old, I was abandoned seven eight nine my grandparents took me in and uh, other brothers and sisters how do you be a five year old and know that you need to be able to take care of your siblings right
0: you were a baby
2: i was You're a baby i've become more comfortable with that for many many years i was very embarrassed over and people ask that after a while you get more comfortable I say today I'm 71, going on 28, and I can remember those days as like ever yesterday, and remember what actual hunger was and insecurity. So it was a tough start, and it built a strong foundation as a kid. Did I know how to play? I did not. Did I know what toys were? I did not. And I've often said, how did a kid? In 52, 53, how do you know? Just instinct, survival instincts. I remember at seven and eight, picking up Coke bottles and taking them to a local store and getting a penny, those type of things. So I was a kid that was a very serious kid. Didn't laugh that much. Not much to laugh about. (laughs) Things developed, and every day was a blessing. I knew tomorrow had to be better than the day I just ended. I met my father for the first time when I was twelve. I was very interesting. I remember that, that day, nineteen fifty-eight, I was living with my grandparents, rural South Carolina, rural farm. I mean, we didn't have didn't have electricity. I mean that that rule. This man come and getting on this big old car and my Grandfather comes to me, and he called me by my initial, J.L., and he says, you're going to go live with this man now. This is your father. <laughs> I got in a car with the only I had was the clothes on my back and went to live with my dad, which had remarried. As a kid, you know when you're welcome and you're not welcome in a household, right? That energetically, and I knew that was the case. So at 12, I made a plan. I put my first strategic plan together. <laughs> It's what I needed to do. At 16, I can get my driver's license. I started working in gas stations. My father worked construction. I often give him a lot of credit because I was allowed to go to work for him. So I used to watch him operate heavy construction equipment. So I learned how to do that. At 16, I ended up dropping out of school, going to work, working construction, and really doing well. And then that led to the mid sixties. Vietnam was absolutely in his heyday. One Friday afternoon I was working for a contractor in Miami, Florida. I was a crane operator at that time and got off my crane and went down to Army recruiting station and said I wanted to join the Army, which was very rare in those days. So I went in the Army. I credit the Army today as the foundation that gave me the opportunity for education. And I never will forget the day we come out of basic training day one. Everybody went through this line and everybody came out the other side of this door and they all had the same haircut. So I looked around. (laughs) We all looked the same, right? So I looked around and I said, geez, this is a level playing field. I don't care where you come from what culture, what background? I said, I am equal. That's the first time that I ever felt equal, if you will. Without people, It can be very cruel, sometimes as adults and especially as kids, right? To other kids, the words white trash and all that type of thing would used very frequently in those days. So that's the reason I said, I can excel. So that's what I did. I just started excelling, working hard, I got my GED, stepped out of first year of college, and then went to Vietnam and had two tours in Vietnam, got injured. My goal at that time was to make the Army my career. And I got out in 71, went in the National Guard. Not many combat veterans around, so I went in the National Guard and I got accepted to Georgia Tech. And went in an engineering program, which is the toughest thing I ever did because I wasn't prepared for it. And worked my way through on the GI Bill and started working for a construction equipment dealer in Atlanta, Georgia. And I never will forget, uh, I was just doing cold calling, walking down the street, walking to businesses, knocking on doors. and said, I need a job and looking for a job. So that was 72 in the early 72. I never remember this man. I walked in and he said, rough, tough, big guy. I said, what do you want, boy? <laughs> I went, <laughs> so I'm looking for a job. And he says, what do you do? I said, I just got out of the army. I just, what did you do in the army? And I told him, and he said, well, I said, I'll do anything. And he said, what are you doing now? And I was working for another contractor at that time. And he says, oh, you're a crane operator. And they sewed that equipment. There was a big crane on the front end. Well, go show me. (laughs) That was my interview. (laughs) Okay, don't talk about it. Go show me. So I love your 12-year-old. Ask for what you want. (laughs) Ask for what you want, so I did. I went down, just knocked it on the ballpark, walked in. told his partner, get the boy's job. I know. I just that simple question. What would you like for a kid? Just unloaded. Just open up a hole. <laughs>
0: My dad knows how to drive a forklift, and he ran huh? a manufacturing company for forty huh? years. He's had to knock on doors for sales, and he gets in the trenches. and And I think you've done a lot of that.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. I view that I'm the most blessed individual on the earth to be able to overcome. Then at fast forward, I mean, there's a lot of decades between that five-year-old boy and things that really helped. When I graduated from Georgia Tech and worked with this equipment dealer, got recruited by Ingersoll Rand Company, probably familiar with that name. And again, that's when my career just started to excel. I was a salesman too, so I knocked on a lot of doors, selling equipment. I got promoted pretty rapidly and then went in an international group. So I spent three years in uh, the Middle East, especially in Saudi Arabia in those days. And then uh, Ingersoll Rand got promoted to VP and, and decided that I wanted to do more, follow the American dream and started my first company.
0: I want to know what a nice little Southern boy thought of Saudi Arabia.
2: You know, I do it as an opportunity. And even to this day, you set your eyes on a goal and you got to be committed to it. It's not always be that straight journey. You're gonna have disappointments. You're gonna have, betrayal is probably a strong word, but that does occur in life. So I just cherish the opportunity that I had to be able to go into that particular environment because I was strictly there to make money and never again ever to be in position to be hungry. What's interesting, I really learned the culture, learned how to appreciate the culture. That really opened my mind. The word that we use so freely today, sometimes I don't think we mean it, but diversity in all cultures. Everybody has a place on this earth in some way, and you've got an individual purpose. You would look and curious. So I started studying the culture, right? I'm in their country, respect, don't judge. I studied the culture. And I will say that my experience was lovely and made a lot of money. <laughs> As years passed, when I started actually buying and selling companies, which I did for a lot of years, one of the companies I owned was in Belgium, and we manufactured pumps for the oil and gas industry and had 33% of the OPEC market. We did business in 43 countries, and the majority of those were in the Middle East parts of Asia, Venezuela, all the OPEC oil producing countries. I still say that my relationships were good. We had a strong presence in Iraq. We had a strong presence in Iran. We had an office in Iran. I've lived in those countries. I've done business in those countries to understand, even at that time, the challenges and also the United States involvement in those countries as well. Even when we had the conflict I could relate to because of the regime. It was just—I mean, come on—it was brutal. We knew that. We saw that. But at the same time, the company own—we did business with Iraq before I bought the company for a number of years. So I looked at it, it as another customer. So how do you deal with that? Then how do you start? Balancing the values, right? So that values thing kicked in, and I had to start making a decision: who are you going to do business with, or is it all for the dollar, or is it going to be some tough decisions you're going to have to make? So I started having to make some of those tough decisions as an American and as a combat veteran, as a disabled veteran. Uh, There's a few things that I could see there that I I could not support. So we started pulling out, and then. 1990, the first gulf occurred and changed a lot of ways that you would do business.
0: Did you ever talk to the locals about how they felt towards Westerners?
2: I did. I did as best as I could. I tried to learn the language, but with the Southern tongue, as you can tell, <laughs> not as easy as one would think, uh, just energetically, right? It's amazing the conversation you can have, and nobody can ever speak the same language. <laughs> A lot of Americans were not very well appreciated during those days. They had thought that we were some of the problems, especially with Hussein at that time. It was thought that the US had maybe put him in power to a degree. And of course I reply like, you know, I saw my pay great, but it was interesting. But it's just like any relationship. And I can tell and I just love what I know is to be a great relationship between you and your dad. I just think it's fantastic. We know how relationships it's what you put into them in how you listen. So all in all, my experiences in most of the countries was very, very positive. I remember when I released my first book in 2007 called What's My Purpose? A Journey of Personal and Professional Growth. When I released the book, I was very blessed. It really became a bestseller. Then I started doing workshops. Those days, we didn't have the video Zooms that we have today, but we had teleseminar. I started a 12 week course that I was doing over the phone. What's my purpose, taking exercises, people doing work. I was amazed to find out the number of students that I had, especially from Iran, Iraq. I had a lot of students and a lot of people that would share privately that they had gone to a place because they were not allowed to have this contact outside. Just that relationship where people were looking for other people's thoughts and what is this purpose of purpose what is this all about how does that align to the quran how does that align to the bible or how does that align here i found that fascinating as well
0: what are your thoughts on arranged marriage
2: i think it's horrible strong language and why so strong i think it's horrible because i think to have a strong relationship you you got to have that trust that intimate relationship I say it's horrible, I say it's horrible in our environment, but I look at it, I think you miss a lot, and maybe they grow into a relationship. I think that probably occurs as well, but like said, my initial reaction was it's horrible because I have a huge issue with any human trafficking, and I'm not saying that's the case, but when people are bought and sold for another... That's the reason my reaction is that way. And I know there's a culture where that's certainly acceptable. I am not going to judge it. I just think it's something that you've got to have a, a better connection. You've got to become your friend. you got to become someone that you really trust, right? And, and I guess that can occur. And as they say in the South, if you keep digging that hole deep enough, you cannot get out of it. That's my thoughts on that.
0: <laughs> because it is still really prevalent over yeah. there today.
2: It is. Yeah, that's all you know. And that's just like me sharing how the Army gave me my opportunity. Well, sometimes under that culture, these arrangements give people opportunities for a better life. For me, it's not to judge that as long as it's not something that, oh, here you are, let me sell you, this is all arranged. And uh, like I said, my view was more from the arranged in the uh, human trafficking aspect of it and i'm not saying the two is the same but that's where my brains kicked in when that question was asked but, eh.
0: have you ever spoken to any refugees
2: i have i was working in nigeria in the early 80s we were working in a place called Kaduna, nigeria rural a lot of refugees and also we did some work in sudan so refugees there for a short period of time we had some projects in syria which is obviously another deep discussion. My book that I am releasing, what I call The Broken America, I could basically say maybe the broken world or the broken this or the broken that. And when I decided on the title, it was intended to be provocative. right? I wanted to jump off the shelf if there's such a thing anymore. Well, what's that mean? Well, let's have a conversation. What do you think it means? What's your view on it? It says open up a dialogue and maybe we might be able to have the discussion. And I loved your questions. If I could wave a magic wand, we would be having these discussions around around the world so we can have a better understanding of each other. And I know and to a lot of people, that's gonna sound very naive, but I, I believe in the human spirit regardless. The human spirit, given the opportunity, I think you want to do the right thing. I was looking forward to connecting with you. And I had the news on in the background and I saw this awful, shooting in Wisconsin. And my heart just sank every time we see things like that. And I just stop and reflect, what is wrong with us? What are we doing? You're taught when a police officer, even if you get stopped, speeding, don't move, keep your hands on the steering wheel, don't make any sudden moves, and so on and so forth. We're taught that, right? Well, that's a good thing to be taught. But at the same time, where you have this poor man that, did he make a mistake, and I could probably get beat up on this one, I, I think we've gone way too far, and I think we got to get a handle on it, and I think we've got to have some leadership, and I guess that's one of the great things that being my age, if I could use that to my advantage a little bit, that I can speak this freely, speak what I believe, my belief, my opinion, here's my ground rules to the book, when you write your book, you can have your own ground rules right now, <laughs> this is my ground. So if you don't like my ground rules, go write your own book. It's just heart-wrenching to see what just played out on live television today. This man shot seven times, and I think his son was present. And the police said, stop, you should stop. I just completed a 12-week live webcast called Critical Thinking. We got to think critically. We got to teach, even today in this crazy pandemic we're in, we got to teach critical thinking, safety, think through what you do, think through how do you behave, think through what you do and what you don't do. It's a
0: chess game today. I sat on a systemic racism show with like seven other people. There was one other white girl, but she was like a millennial. And I have to be perfectly honest, I was speechless. I didn't know what to say. Because I haven't experienced racism. There are so many things that are being said on the media that I feel scared to even say something. And if you don't say something, then you're yelled at, too.
2: Right. Absolutely, Right, It is a dance. And as you and I both know, we have so many mediums today. I often start out, if I'm doing an interview or doing a webcast, I start out, let me just get out of the way. You may not care what I got to say, or why should you listen to anything I got to say? I think what you got to do, you just got to be totally transparent. You got to speak the truth. You got to be as sensitive as you possibly can. Uh, us that are blessed to have an opportunity to have an audience, I think we have a responsibility to our audience to try to drive it right down the center. And that's what I've done to all of my companies, the wonderful appreciation I have for the monetary gains that I've been able to acquire only from hard work. They're trying to build every company from uh, cultural values, based on values. i bought and sold 23 different companies in a 10-year period of time and in the 80s. I run 15 different companies today. A lot of them are focused on redevelopment and qualified opportunity zones, poverty-stricken communities, investing into communities and building businesses. And I believe we can bring manufacturing back to the United States to a degree. So we're focusing on that. I believe that that there's a lot that we can do from a private sector to actually create more jobs in these qualified opportunity zones, which is actually part of the December 2017 tax hike. I say in the book that I wrote in there called Opportunity Investing, take a bad bill and make it better. One of the great things that came out of this particular bill was when you, have, you had the treasury in each state to certify these poverty areas called Qualified Opportunity Zones. If you invest in a fund that's going to invest in these zones, you can get some tax breaks. We businesses need to step up and invest in the community versus always looking to think the government's going to solve our problem.
0: How did you learn
2: how to invest? I had to learn early on because even from my pennies, how can I make a penny and make two pennies? I studied. I have ever shareholder letter that Warren Buffett has ever written since the 60s. And I sent him one of my books, Warren Buffett, one of my books, and nice enough to get a handwritten note back uh saying I can't endorse your book but good job. I took that as a great because I looked at him from a distance as one of my mentors. So I studied I don't care what it was. I, I studied even going back to the 1500s. was commerce how was it developed different ways of creating finance is a fascinating field. If you can think it and long as it's solid, uh, there's many ways to create an economy you can drop me right in the middle of the desert again and I can create a business out of sand. <laughs> we, we, could, we could do because there's, there's somebody who wants something out of that sand. You just got to figure out part, which little parcel they want. I had no money. So when I was doing my acquisitions, I had to learn how to get created. I have to learn how to leverage. I would take a basic business that may not be house on it, So I turned it into a financial powerhouse, my pump company, for example, and I bought in Belgium, which was a hundred year old company at that time. The margins on the product is like six, seven, eight percent. And so what I saw was an opportunity, especially some third world countries where they didn't have the foreign exchange. So we set up a commodities trading. In other words, we would take our pumps in exchange for your wool or, or your oil or your this, and then we'd go sell it out on an open market.
0: Have you ever overleveraged yourself?
2: Absolutely. (laughs) I remember, I would probably say that I spent the decade of the 80s over leverage. (laughs) I really would. And just to stress that that puts any burden, because if you go to a bank, your credibility is all you have. We have certainly certain laws in the United States that allows bankruptcy. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But it would certainly be something that I would never do. I could never do that in sleep at night to think that I did anything to someone to create a hardship because of my lack of judgment or even my potential greed that could be kicking in if that was the case, which hopefully that was never the case. But I guess it could have been when I was a younger man over leveraged to the fact that I realized that I had to balance. And then that's what I started doing. And I remember very specifically in 89 or 90 I started diversifying, I started coming back, I started paying off all of our uh, bank loans, I started doing things differently, I went into different industries, a different thing like that. So it's all a learning curve and and I can sit back and look at it very fondly today for the lessons learned. I have two amazing young men had to say that they understand from young boys, and uh, now they're young men, have their own careers and uh, their own directions. I said, Dad, we remember you telling us early on, due to balance. there's a fine mix between equity and debt. Good debt is healthy. It's healthy for the economy. But if you get too much where where the business is on the edge, and I think we had a lot of that in 2000, well, we had a lot of businesses that were just floating, built on quicksand and no substance behind it. I think a lot of the stock market today, we still have a lot of that too, where stock market is being nosedive and a nose in the heartbeat because a lot of it's built on nothing, just on spin.
0: Have you noticed with your portfolio that things are overvalued?
2: Yes, in some sectors, I have. We are constantly looking to diversify. Certainly not giving any stock advice. Of course, we will do that disclaimer. There is a lot of equities that are overvalued. We're very strong in industrial, co-storage, warehousing.
0: I can't wait to introduce you to my dad because he plays completely in the same space. He has a 200,000 square foot building that he's renting out. And he also is looking to get into redistribution because he was in the manufacturing space for 40 plus years and all of his business went to China, but he ended up reselling all of his equipment and reinventing himself. And Mm -hmm. a lot of the people who worked for my father for decades now set up their own small shops. And now my dad is the consultant. I
2: love that word, reinventing. You constantly got to be reinventing yourself. The people that don't, I mean, you just become a dinosaur. I'm constantly reinventing myself every day, even right now. I get up. I look forward to having these conversations. I really do. Anytime I have an opportunity, I have a engaging conversation. And what am I going to do tomorrow? How can we affect someone's life in a positive way? Case in point: Look at this rework situation. Look at the billions of dollars. And look at right now with the COVID-19, what's it gonna be in the future? What's what's the office space gonna be? It's gonna have a new look. I don't know about you, but this Zoom, man, I wish I was Zoom in the right time, right? I mean, we've been working this way and we've been very productive. But I find myself, I don't know about you, working longer hours, we just got more work to do. And especially when you are working hard to make sure that you have protocols in place for safety of your employees and your customer. We got out ahead of that pretty early on when this thing occurred.
0: How do you make your workplace a place where people want to be? God, your question is great.
2: For me, it's being honest and a clear vision and being able to communicate. The word I use all the time, and I I just use probably half a ton of time today, I want to be the employer of choice. I want you to want to work for our firm. I want you to be able to work for our firm, be able to make a wage that you can live on. We have always never minimum wages. I don't buy any of that stuff. Where everybody's so happy. Well, let's make it to be the $15 to be the minimum wage. Well, come on. Depends on what part of the country you in. You've got to look at, your community, your surroundings. You can't ask someone to come in and pay them $10 an hour and expect them to have a quality of life. I communicate with my employees a lot. On the other side, not all people are right for your energetic fit for your organization either. You've got to be able to make the tough calls If it doesn't work, you gotta get rid of them. You gotta kick them to the curb if they're causing a problem. And that's harsh too. But you get the bigger enterprise to look out for. So allow every employee to know what it takes for she or he. How can I get my next raise? How can I grow? Have a footprint, in other words, a plan. And another thing is know their name. So that's hard to do. So it's respect.
0: When you're letting people go, how do you take care of the rapport of the rest of your team?
2: To get to a position where we have got to make that horrible decision, here's been my experience. Majority of the employees will ask, what took you so long to make that decision? What took you so long? Very interested. I have never, that I can recall, let anyone go that caused any negative repercussions within the rest of the ranking file. I've never experienced that in over 40 years. I think maybe
0: you uh, should contact the presidents and give out some of your advice.
2: I would love to do that. I can get myself in deep trouble on that subject. (laughs) I go really deep. I agree. I love this country with all of my heart. From that five-year-old boy and all of the benefits, it hasn't always been rosy. I've been broke. I've been leveraged. I've been this. I've been all over. It just hurts my heart to see where we are as a nation today my next book which i'm going to release on September 9th we're going to do everything we possibly can and the intent is to get it every person in the senate in the house we're just going to do it we're going to send it to you or you going to read it tonight we're going to cover up your office we'll, we'll see how many returns we get <laughs> we're going to order thousands and what are we going to do? we're going to send them to every politician that we can get an address for
0: i love that That is awesome. How can I help with that mission? That's amazing. I'm like, I'm thinking of the biggest podcasters I know right now. And I'm like, I want to get you on their shows. That is fantastic. (laughs) Yeah.
2: We're going to boxes. Come on. So that is a mission. Our Congress and our Senate, we got to do better. Well, what's that mean? Well, it starts with decency and it starts with remembering. And the first part of the book, I deal with the founding fathers and mothers. Now, was the founding fathers and mothers, were they perfect? No, but we certainly laid out a pretty good foundation that we've been building on. This thing called the Constitution is not a bad foundation. This current president's like so power hungry and I have real problems with people that serve so far from the truth.
0: I love it. Have you ever thought about running for office?
2: I have. A few years ago, I would had it mapped out my career, I said, Actually, one time I thought I'd want to be governor of California. That was my mind when I came back to the state. Things happened, and more business. If I was younger, I would definitely look at that today. I think now I'm in a better position, maybe on the sidelines of doing what you and I are doing, just to speak the truth as we know it, as pure as we can speak it. Hopefully, we'll get someone to listen to us and know that we're not trying to promote here. We just said, this is how we said. We love our country. We got a problem. So what are we going to do to, to solve it? And oh, while we're doing it, why don't we think about treating each other with some civility here?
0: Do you think that anyone sees you and prejudges that you wouldn't feel that way?
2: I think so. When we started the conversation, when you asked that wonderful question, which led into minutes of... Ooh, is he ever going to stop? <laughs> I think a lot of people that will first meet me if I'm on stage, they're going to look at me that he had everything given to him. He's post. He's this. He's educated. He's this. Until they get to know me, and then normally if I'm speaking, probably takes about 15 to 20 minutes because it said I finally became comfortable with my own skin because I was so embarrassed when when I talk about my childhood, when I talked up the fact that I had to drop out of school, had to go to work. I was embarrassed over that. And I thought in the corporate world, when I was climbing the ladder in the Fortune 500 Ingersoll-Rands in those days, if anybody knew that I was a high school dropout, right? Yet, I ended up with three different degrees. And a lot of people said, well, that's kind of an overachievement there, right? Maybe, but I'm curious. Never stop learning. Some of the smartest people I know has no formal diploma sometimes. People judge me a lot. Then when I start telling the stories, I know what it's like to make payroll in American Express. How many of you know how that do that? I know what it's like to put everything that you own on the line because you believe in yourself. How many in this room is willing to do that today? I know what it's like to be hungry. People know truth when they see it. They can see it in your eyes, they can see it in your facial expression. You are
0: an achievement. Thank you so much for this interview. I have thoroughly enjoyed it.
2: My pleasure.
0: Please let people know how they can connect with you, support you, find your book, all of that.
2: Author is a good driving force to all the books and everything that we're doing for some of these opportunity zones that we're talking about. phdopportunityfund.com. You go to there and look at what we're doing. Don't hesitate. If you have a question, I actually do answer. If anybody has a question, send us an email. I absolutely guarantee I will enter your email and would love to have a conversation. Thank you. Better call Dad. I love it. <laughs> You're fantastic. Thank you so much.
0: Grandpa, what did you think? All right. So what did you think of Jim White? I knew you would like him.
1: Oh, yeah. I just listened to your interview with Jim White. What a fantastic interview. I have very similar training as Jim White my dad who did service our country during World War II. So when it came to loyalty and love of his country, my dad had that same dedication and loyalty. I think some of that has been passed on to me as well, where I'm very dedicated and loyal to people that have worked with me. I'd like to think that I've done that my whole life. He also brought up, I can't think of anyone that left the company. Just about every single person I can think of came back to apologize to me. And we had a lot of people that even retired with us, and we even had their children work in the factory as well. So we even had different generations. That was a very interesting aspect, is that if you treat everybody with respect and where you have loyalty to people, it's catching. When you have good conscientiousness and kindness and compassion for people, And where you give people growth and opportunity to work with you and you work hand in hand with people, it doesn't really matter what level, whether it's the first person in the door or the last person in the door. You'd be surprised that dealing with people in that manner, you gain not only more respect yourself, but you have a real concerted effort of accomplishing things together. But the whole country could use a little more of that today. I agree with Jim White on that point as well. Taking risks in business and learning how to pivot and learning how to reinvent yourself. This is all part of the story of your whole life. You just can't stand still. You've got to be able to work hard and give it everything you have with every breath that you have your entire life. If you wanna be able to succeed and be successful.
0: What did you think about him moving overseas with his business.
1: He got a very good education, served his country, and he was able to make connections overseas. That's probably where he really made his money is because he was willing to learn other people's cultures. He took two tours of duty in Vietnam, which means that he was most likely in there either six years or eight years in the Army. And he had an appreciation for different cultures Even though he was a young man and he was forced to drop out of school, he got that beautiful hands-on education. And once he got that hands-on education, he also then went to school and studied. He actually learned from Warren Buffett from afar, where he read every report. He's one of the all-time greats. The truth of the matter is, is that he was willing to learn about different cultures. He was willing to follow successful leaders. Here's another thing that uh, Jim White has brought up. He says that he's willing to do podcasts, he's willing to do the Zoom meetings, he's willing to do whatever it takes to communicate during the COVID-19 and be able to make his employees safe, do all the safety precautions. He gives it all his effort. He leads by example. That is the old-time school thinking, where you lead by example and you do it down to earth. It just seems that there's less and less and less of that these days. I still think that that is the successful formula to life. I think he would be a great politician as well. I think he would do a fantastic job at any political office that he would try to ascertain.
0: Did you hear him say that he wants to send his book to every single senator?
1: The truth of the matter is, I think it should be made mandatory that they have to read it. (laughs) And he's got a good sense of humor also. I think part of life is also is where we have to sometimes be able to laugh at ourselves and hopefully people will laugh with us and not at us. I I don't know where you got this guy from, but what a terrific person.
0: We all have our own unique map, which helps us understand ourselves and others. Increased self-awareness is key to maximizing your career and life. The UMAP assessment reveals your strengths, values, skills, and interests. There is also a UMAP youth assessment for kids. To get your personalized UMAP, go to myumap, that's y-o-u dot com today. Use the code BCD for a discount. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and TuneIn. Add Better Call Daddy podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show.